Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Oh, yeah, welcome aboard, John Pielli, Past Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, if, don't forget to download the iPhone and Android app if you haven't already. Uh, it's hour two, of course, of the radio program, a baseball interview show where uh, every week I get to sit down, talk with players that have played the game, and we talk about their experiences. Uh, today I got a chance to speak with, um, if you listened in the first hour, Pedro Valdez, a former outfielder with the Cubs and the Rangers, played in Japan and had some success playing in Mexico. Um, I'm going to keep the outfield theme going in hour number two. Uh, this time I had a chance to speak with a one-time Mets outfielder by the name of Raul Gonzalez. He played with the Cubs in 2000, the Reds in 2001-2002, the Mets in 2002-2003, the Indians in 2004. Uh, played professionally up until 2007. Uh, one interesting thing about Raul Gonzalez, and we touch on it in the interview, is that he was selected to go on the road with Miguel Cabrera. And, of course, Miguel Cabrera, the two-time AL MVP, the Triple Crown winner of a couple of years ago, um, had the issue where he had the drunken driving. And he needed kind of somebody to kind of mentor him and kind of be there with him to keep him out of trouble. And it was selected that Raul Gonzalez was the guy. And Gonzalez had a good major league career. He was a decent outfielder. Had his best year with the Mets, if I'm not mistaken, in 2003, where he got a handful of games, got to contribute a little bit. So hopefully you guys enjoy this interview with former major league outfielder Raul Gonzalez. This is John Pielli. I'm here with former major league outfielder Raul Gonzalez. Raul, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Hey, listen, uh, talk about your, your earliest memories from baseball because you, know, you, you came up, you started playing in, professionally in 1991. Tell us a little bit about your earliest experiences and, uh, and how you got to play baseball professionally. Thank you, Joe. I got drafted back in 1990 when I was in the living great in Puerto Rico. I was in Puerto Rico back in 
all seasons. I got traded to the next to two thousand two. I grew up two thousand two. I was straight up to the big country today. I spent the 2003 with the Mets again. I went to Council Board to spring training with the Mets. And after a month in AAA, I got released. I signed with Cleveland. AAA Buffalo. I got called out. So for a few weeks, I got sent down and broke my leg. That was in 2006. Not about the fourth, sorry. Then the next season I signed with the San Luis Cardinals. Uh, my last season in the big league that I played a little bit in the big league was in 2004 with Cleveland. Then I signed with San Luis Cardinals. Then with the Pirates, and that was my last season basically in the United States. Then I, I, I started. I was Mexico for my next four seasons, and I retired in 2010. Also, I signed with the Mexico in 2008 as a free agent, so I spent like a month in a AAA affiliated in New Orleans. And after 2010, I was hired by Melbourne Baseball and the Player Association to become Miguel Cabrera's mentor. I spent two seasons with the Detroit Tigers as the Cabrera's mentor. As his mentor, I was able to get on the field, do play games, activities, help the team um, um, during batting practice, take some help the outfielders and help them whatever I did during batting practice. and. After that, I got an offer from the Boston Red Sox to start coaching as a hitting coach. That was last year in 2013, and I'm back with them this year. That's pretty interesting. Once again, John Pielli here with Raul Gonzalez. Now, you know, you talk about the years that you spent in the minor leagues because you're obviously, a, you know, you're a baby. You're 16 years old when you're drafted, and you know it was probably going to take some time before you made it to the majors. But was there any time, you know, throughout the better part of the 90s that you thought that hey, maybe it wasn't in the, in the cards for you? You know, I never had that doubt in my mind. I was probably not mature enough, <clears throat> but I never had a doubt I would play in the big Um, looking back to my career, I think uh, I worked and I thought I was doing the right things, but uh, I, now I know I was making a lot of mistakes like, like every other young player. So once I start figuring things out and seeing all the guys passing by me, I took, I took a different approach in the game and, and I started on the like keep learning from other players and seeing situation and listening more. Because as a young kid, sometimes you, you get a little bit stubborn. And you know, listen to you know everything. So you gotta learn and, and listen to people that have seen many, many, many players. 
tell us a little bit about the 2013 season with the Mets and what you felt about your experience there. That was an amazing opportunity. I got traded in 2002. I got a like when I went from the Reds to the Mets in 2002. I was able to play a lot for the last month and a half for Brophy Valentine. The next season, 2003, I they changed management and staff, the coaches, staff, they get, they get out of house and bunch of new coaches. So I have to try to prove myself again. And I think I try too hard. I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I did not make the thing out of spring training. But then I got caught up because I was doing well in Tripoli. I got caught up because of a knee injury, injury also, so I got caught up. I, I did very well at the beginning when I was playing every day, but they keep me around, but I was platooning, and I did not perform as well as platooning. All my life I have been an everyday player, and Maybe I think I did not understand, uh, understood that, but I tried my best anyway. I was not complaining. I was in the big league, so I tried everything I could to stick around, try to do this. But my numbers in my reflect the type of player I was, but I know I tried the best in any pattern. It was a really a different game for me. And I didn't, you know, I didn't do what I was supposed to do, I guess. And I did what I could after coming out the base. Yeah, no question. Once again, John Peel here with Raul Gonzalez. Now, after you played with the Indians in the major leagues in 2004, did you did you feel you ever really got another shot to, to prove what you could still do at your age? Well, you know, as a player, you, you never, you know, you don't really know your days, and you always want to think the best and, and focus and positive. And I, I got a, like, I don't know, two weeks with the Indians. I was doing really well in AAA. And once again, I, I was an everyday player in every level I played, except in the big league. And, and I, I got a with the Indians, and I got a fair opportunity because I only had 11 at-bats, but I only got one hit. And not as cute because it's 11 at-bats, but if I would have gone 5 for 11, it would have been a different story. Well, even though it's you're, you're 11 at-bats. So I did not do well, and I got some down. I got hurt again because the previous year, I think, no, not the previous year. I just got hurt, broke my ankle, my fibula, and I was getting older now, and, and I was not getting. Um, I don't know. I always still think I could play in the big league. I was never. I, I didn't have any doubt because the next season when I signed with the Cardinals, I have a great spring and I have a great season triple So. I have another injury uh, and at the end of the season. So I guess I've been a management standpoint 
they, they see me getting older and getting injuries and they believe in it's getting towards the end. Uh, as a player, you, know, you never believe it's the end of your career. You just want to get playing and, and try your best. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you, the one thing that stands out, and you see it time and time again, as a player gets older, uh, their window, their window of opportunity from the eyes of the organization gets a little lesser and lesser and a lot of players don't see that happening around them but you know like you said you could go out there like you did for the Cardinals and, and have a great spring training and have a great season in AAA but you know it, it's almost like you have to as you get older achieve a level of perfection to get that notoriety and that, that respect and that opportunity to come back from the major leagues as you get older I know and it, it, you know that, that dream don't never go away until you retire. You know, you think you can play all your life, and it's hard to realize it. And, and you don't want to hear any negative stuff, even from friends and probably trying to tell you that you know you got to think about something else. Some your is coming, but when you're training hard and and you see younger players coming up. You, they probably have more ability than you, but you, you can beat them by the experience and doing the little things that they don't do. And, you know, as a player, I don't think you have a time limit. You just got to keep playing. I, I never thought I would play 20 years, and I did. But I probably did, and I didn't know how long I would play, but at the end, that was one of my goals, and we just played 20 years. That, that looks like a pretty good career, and, I, and thank God I, I was able to do it. And I'm looking back at my numbers and my career, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And, and I'm still living out of baseball. I'm coaching now, and I love what I do, and I have a lot of experience to teach my players from. And this is what it's all about. I have so much that I learned that I can tell these guys to instead of making 10 years like I did, they can cut their road in five or three even shorter because of the mistake I made. There's, there's a lot of ways to learn. And especially like three ways to learn. You can learn from listening, by watching, or going through the experience. You don't have to go through the bad experience. You can learn them by watching and by listening. If you take the choice to try to go through the bad one, it's your choice, but you can try the good ones. And if it's the stuff you throw out there, they take it and they, they listen, they they learn. Some, some don't learn, some learn. So it's up to them now. Uh, I am willing to give all my resources to these kids because I want the rest of them. Yeah, very good attitude, man. Once again, John Pielli here with Raul Gonzalez. And, you know, I, I have to ask you about the the thing involved with uh, with Miguel Cabrera. Of course, he was going through some trouble. And how did how did Major League Baseball get a hold of you to be a mentor, to be a person that was going to, you know, essentially walk with him and try to steer him in the right direction? Well, I cannot really talk about it, okay. but I can only say that... His agents, uh, Diego Lanz and Fernando Bosa, they were my agents. And 
when he got in trouble, they, I, I guess, they thought about me. And they gave me a call. And that's how I got that. Nah, that's awesome, man. <laughs> now, did you feel like, like you mentioned, uh, you know, a couple times during the during the during the course of the conversation here, that you know you learned from your own mistakes? Were you able to, in your own mind, did you feel like you were able to help Miguel during that time? Sure, sure. He's a great guy, great player. It's just the young kid with great, unbelievable ability for the for the game. No, absolutely. Uh, no, no, I understand. And listen, I think I'm sure you did a lot of good stuff with him. And obviously, he's become a, a an outstanding player, particularly over the last couple of years. You know, two two time MVP, triple crown winner. Uh, you know, it looks like it looks like he's got himself going in the right direction. And three running titles. Yeah, and, yeah, no question. Listen, my yeah. I want to thank you for having some time, Raul. Appreciate you giving me a couple minutes. Best of luck to everything you're doing with the Red Sox organization. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Great to catch up there with Raul Gonzalez, of course, former outfielder with several different clubs. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with an interview I recorded with former Major League outfielder Jorge Pietra. Back after this. Hey guys and gals, want to have a great time dining out while watching your favorite sport on HGTV? Then come on down to Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, located on Route 1 South in Trenton in the Mercer Mall. Hi, I'm Deja. And I'm Corey. These are great deals all week, bound to whet your appetite and satisfy your hunger. Check out our Bunday Mondays, where you can have a delicious cheeseburger and fries for only $6.99. On Tuesdays, we have all-you-can-eat wings all day, just $12.99 per person or $10.99 for boneless. On Wednesdays, you can get 10 boneless wings and an order of fries for just $6.99. On Saturday, kids eat free for every meal ordered by an accompanying adult, and the meals are served on Frisbees. We have half-priced appetizers from 10 p.m. until close every day. You can then enjoy your cold draft beer with our mouth-watering crab clusters for only $5. Remember, we are located in Trenton on Route 1 South in the Mercer Mall, just south of Quaker Bridge Road. For any information, call us at 609-520-WINGS. That's 609-520-9464. So come on in and watch your favorite football team while having a great meal, served up by the nicest and the hottest girls anywhere. Hope to see you there. Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Don't forget to tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. I had a chance the other day to speak with an outfielder that played in the Colorado Rockies organization. His name is Jorge Pietra. And Jorge played for the Rockies from 2004 to 2006. Um, 2005, he hit 313 in 61 games, was signed by the Dodgers as an amateur free agent. 
uh, was the second major league player suspended in 2005 for a violation of the joint drug agreement, which was a 10-game suspension at the time. But, yeah, I chose not to get into it with him because I don't think that's important. I think you talk about all the performance-enhancing drugs, the usage in Major League Baseball, and let's be honest, I mean, I'm not going to vilify a guy because something like that happened. It doesn't make him a good or a bad guy. It's just something that happened. In my opinion, it's not worth talking about, and to me, it will not be worth talking about unless I know every player that did or did not use performance-enhancing drugs because until then, it's an unfair scenario. It's an unfair comparison to assume that everybody who hasn't been implicated is clean, but now that I got that off my chest a really good interview I recorded with Jorge Pietra the guy's exuberant the guy has an ability I I think he'll be on TV or radio at some point he really has a great personality I really enjoyed speaking with him hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Rockies outfielder Jorge Pietra this is John Pielli I'm joined by former major league outfielder Jorge Pietra what's going on Jorge Definitely glad to have you aboard. Hey, listen, man, uh, just talk about, uh, like, first of all, talk about your, your life outside of baseball. You know, you, you know you're, you're obviously not playing a game anymore. Uh, what kind of things are you up to now as you've gone on with your life? Well, you know, it's funny. It took me a little bit to uh, travel around. Uh, the whole state before I get to A chance to play play for you know several years so over ten years if I'm not mistaken eleven twelve seasons professionally a couple at the major league level uh, what do you, what do you, what's what stood out to you the most looking back on it these years later about your playing career like what would you what if you had to summarize it as far as what you experienced or what you liked about it or how, how would you summarize your playing career? I wish I had you know, the journey more. What I liked about it was 
obviously an amazing time meeting great people from all over the world. Uh, the way the game has changed is just dramatic in terms of, you know, they have camps all over Latin America, Asian baseball you know, players from Europe. I mean, it's just insane. And the camaraderie with the guys, and then it's fun. You know, you spend seven, eight months with 25 guys, and I used to say it at the end of every season. Uh, your friend, you know? <laughs> yeah, no question. Now, you, you of course, uh, you, you, were, you were born in the United States, but your, your parents were Cuban. What, what actually, what got you into baseball? Did it, was it, was it like a, like a family thing or something, or was it something you just kind of played on your own? Or? Well, my mom's Mexican. She's American born, but my father, he's Cuban, and all my Cuban family is Mexican. Uh, we're born in Cuba, so my grandparents, my uncle, aunt. And I was raised by my Cuban grandmother pretty much. So she, you know, is like a Cuban heritage. The food, and if you don't know anything about Cuba, baseball and boxing are like religion out there. Yeah, absolutely. And since I was a kid, yeah. Since I grew up in Southern Cal, so I grew up playing sports. And I played, I was a quarterback on the football team, played DBE, uh, you know, whatever, two mile or more, but I won defensive player of the year, that all CIS, whatever, Justin Fargus who ended up playing, I think, seven or eight years in NFL, was uh, the running back on my team. He was a junior, I was a senior, and I used to hand it off to him. It was a pretty easy job to do. It was really good. <laughs> played basketball. I was a shooting guard. Played baseball. And I think it was right in that era before they started making these kids focus on one thing. And for me, that's what I enjoyed. I enjoyed growing up playing sports. And as a Cuban kid, it was kind of, honed in on me, my grandfather being Cuban, I mean, he, I, I went to talk to my grandfather after three months, and first thing he said when he got on the phone is, I'm in Spanish, are you switching? Are you trying righty? Are you going lefty? How's your baseball going? He wouldn't say what school or anything. <laughs> <laughs> So it's kind of funny. Yeah, so you end up you end up going on this journey, and I tell you what's 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 impressive. Of course, you were you were signed by the the Dodgers organization, and really throughout your minor league career, all all you did was put up numbers. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned about not really getting a chance to look back and kind of enjoy the time you had, but you obviously seemed determined to make it to the major leagues. Uh, you know, it seemed it seemed like you re, you really had everything together. Tell us a, a little bit about your game early on, and you know some of some of the best memories you had of of having the success that you did play in minor league baseball. Okay, well, I mean, one thing I like to say is we had a saying a lot of guys in the locker room, and we would say there are the players that have to prove that they can play, and then there are the players that have to prove that they can't play. I was in the category of the player that had to prove that he can play. Yeah. And an example of that is, you know, I played with Matt Holliday in the minor league. Uh, impressive player, impressive everything about the guy. He was an amazing, outstanding guy, you know, six foot four, 245 pounds, but reality is in a minor league, anything over 90 miles per hour, he couldn't touch it. But it was one of those things where, and not to know, I mean, we were friends back then, and if you listen to this, you might go, oh, Joey, probably write me a message and say, oh, you, whatever, whatever, but, you know, some people, he's going to get over and play, and he's a multi, what, a hundred million dollar contract guy now, so. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine where, and he's done really well. He's learned how to hit a fastball. I used to bat after him in double A, and I used to always go, if the pitcher throws a 91 or more right now, you're going to break this battle and strike him out. And it would happen almost half the time. Wow. What I'm trying to get at is that he was a player 
And if he struck out, the scouts or the Rockies or the Rockies see was a wall. Did you see that Trino? Whereas if I struck out, they go see he struck out. Well, another player who had to prove the template. Like I need a home run just as far, and they would go, yeah, that was a decent swing. Holiday would hit one the same way, and he go, did you see that home run Holiday? <laughs> it was one of those. You know, and as I got into the game longer, I realized if you tell somebody enough times that they're God, they're going to start believing it. And all they're going to need is a little talent. Now, as for myself, I remember the times, you know, I hit for the cycle twice. Uh, I actually could have done it a third time, and I was half halfway around first, not paying attention, and just out for a stand-up double. I, mean, I still remember it was in Vegas. I would have been the only player, I think, in minor league history to for the cycle three times. Uh-huh. Those are some of the big memories. I had a game where I went six for six with nine RBI and three homers. Uh, those are some of the statistical memories I have. And like I said before, the friends I made, the clubhouse joke, the camaraderie, having fun, that was really the memories I've taken away from it. And once again, John Pielli here with Jorge Pietra, a former Major League outfielder. And, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience getting up to the Major Leagues. You finally, like you said, you had to, you had to work hard, you put up numbers, and you, you probably felt like you didn't really get enough notoriety or enough recognition, but you finally get the call in 2004. Tell us a little bit about your first experience being up at the Major Leagues with the Colorado Rockies. Well, I guess that's from the interview. Some people are probably, you know, I just kind of, this guy sounds like a really uh, egotistical guy, but <laughs> as I'm growing out of, I've learned to leave my ego, put it aside, as they should have done me when I was 20, and they would have really hated me. But <laughs> I remember driving, and I was in Colorado Springs, and I got the call, and as much as it sounds weird, the only thing that really crossed my mind was, finally, what took them so long? Yeah. I know that, I know that sounds bad, I mean, you're like, oh, you should have been grateful. And, and, you know, I think back on my career, and I go, you know what? Maybe if I would have had a new friend, so I think it takes somebody with um, uh, being able to go back and think, and I go, you know what? I would have had a new friend, and I'd probably still be great. You know? <laughs> so I get the call, and I'm, in my mind, I'm like, finally, you know, what took them so long? And I, you know, I, remember, I still remember I first that bad at, I think it was an RBI or two, single. I'm in the winning 43 that night. And I was like, great, I'm going to be here for a long time. And I remember I had some success in 05. I think I led the league in pinching. I did like 490 off the bench or something. Wow. And I thought, I thought after that, the first time in like 30 years anybody had done it, I'm like, okay, it's about to be, you know, fun. I'm about to get a chance to play and all that. And you know what? It didn't happen. And as much as I would have wanted it to or wanted it to happen, you know, things go down the way they do. And then, and then you have to know how to pick up the cards and, and Make the most of it, you know. Not everything works out the way you think. Everything worked out the way we thought it would. Yeah, no question. Once again, John Pielli here with Jorge Pietra. Now, you know, you end up you end up just about hitting every year in the minors, like I said. And for anybody that was listening, that kind of say, hey, this guy's a little cocky, you know, you know, let let let, let it be known that you were hitting three thirty four in Colorado Springs that year in almost a hundred games. So, and then you hit at every other level that you've been at. The next level is the big leagues. So you were there because you belonged. Like I did, you know, and I mean, as as a man, let's say I, as a coach, let's say I was a manager or a coach on a major league team, I'd only want players on my team who felt they belong, whether they were rookies or veterans. And 
it's almost like well, you want to go to war with someone who's apprehensive or somebody who is aggressive and, and going to have your back. And that's how I felt about my career, my playing ability. Once again, could I have had a mute button? Could I have done things differently? Well, of course. But that was who I was at the time. And if people couldn't accept this, then they couldn't. And that, I think that's what happened. I ran into some issues with the brass, you know, the back office and they're all cool, great people now, and, and we've all, I mean, but at the time, I created, I think, a little bit of separation instead of playing the other game, which is, you know, we all know it's a political game, and it exists at any, in any business, at any level. You know, a lot of people want the guy that you like to do well, and if you make people not like you, then you're going you're gonna to lie in that bed whether you're a good player or not. I mean, a good example is we all know Barry Bonds. He, not to say anything, I don't know him personally. I played against him several times. Amazing talent. We all know. But he just disappeared. And I couldn't believe, really? He can't get a DH job in American League? One of the best hitters to ever live when he, when he retired. But, you know, he kind of laid his bed. A lot of people didn't like him, whether it was uh, correct or not. And he just didn't have that extra secondary lift from the players to like, hey, you know what, we like this guy. We want to give him opportunity. Not only is he a great player, but we want him in the locker room. That kind of thing. Not that the lot see, not that my teammates didn't like me. It was just for some reason I created a rift between myself, the front office, and uh, the staff, the coaching staff. And I don't know why. They were just, you know, when you're young and dumb, I guess. Yeah, it's one of those things, man. It, you know, when, you, when you're loud and you're boisterous and you make noise, you know, it, it ruffles feathers. And I, I've been I've been through it too myself. You know, I think the more people speak out, the more enemies you're going to make. And unfortunately, the enemies you make aren't the ones that confront you and say, "Hey, I'm your enemy." They just they, they wait till you leave and essentially go about it when you're gone. You yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I've always been that kind of a guy. I, I can sit here and say I've We're always changing. What I will say is, I've learned that that same enthusiasm and passion and go get them that I have, I can have that to make people like me because I am a likable person. And I think as a young guy, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. I had a lot going on. And, you know, everybody looked at athletes and they go, oh, they got it together. You know, some, you know, some, a lot of athletes are strong, good looking. You know what I mean? Quote unquote, successful. They're the studs in high school. But a lot, a lot of athletes, and even myself, had a, I had a lot of emotional and mental growing up to do. You know, and, and we also had a thing in baseball. There's the players that haven't been humbled, and the players that are taught to be humbled. And <laughs> that's kind of how it works. You know, I remember I played with a lot of veterans that when I was young, they were like, you know what, I would trade in almost all my talent for luck. I'd rather be lucky than good. And I remember being that young punk going, what? No way. I'm gonna if my talent only traded in for anything and it's gonna get me all the way there and now I think back on that goes for sure. I'd rather be lucky than good. Now listen, I, I tell you the difference between uh, you know me and you, or you and the next guy, or me and the next guy, sometimes is you know a break or two. Uh, you know, you look at you know all the business. Whether you talk about the business I'm in, or you playing baseball, uh, the the talent 
you know, is a lot closer than people think. And, you know, some, some, some people get a, get a full chance to go through, you know, no matter what. Some people get noticed more. Some people get, let's say, in your case, uh, playing time when somebody else may not get the playing time. And a lot of times that's the difference between somebody, somebody blowing up or somebody, you know, just kind of sticking around for a little bit and going home. I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, yeah, what year was double A? I was with Tulsa, double A with the Rockies. Opening night at the Frisco Rough Riders Stadium in Dallas. Beautiful place, actually. One of the nicer minor league stadiums. Uh, opening night of the stadium, everything. I was the DH that night, which even, I mean, even he, I speak out about things, and I'm like, really, I'm the DH. I'm like, one of the fastest guys on the team, but I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, I went five for six. I hit for the cycle. I had the first homer. First pitch I saw was a home run. I thought, the game is a big league guy. Not a T.J. Wilson. It might be T.J. Wilson. Five or six, seven or eight RBIs. Hit for the cycle. The next day I'll be in the lineup. Yeah, it's just weird the way it works out like that, you know? It's just... I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but how can you have someone start the season that way? Five or six, six for the cycle. A single, two doubles, a triple. Oh, I still remember the ninth. Seven or eight RBIs, and the next day they're not in the lineup. That's, I mean, I'm not. Oh, actually, I'm, you know, I'm way over it, obviously. But I think about it still, and I go, it's what you just said previously. Some guys get a chance to keep proving that they can or can't play, and some get limited opportunities. You got to make the most of what you got. Uh, wait, before I let you go, buddy, what would you say is was your was your greatest moment playing professional baseball, either in the majors or in the minors, or even in independent ball? You know, I have to say, stopping, getting away from stats or anything, was seeing my oldest daughter now, who's 11, the clubhouse made her a little jersey when she was, I think, three or four, and seeing her in the stands, and I took the field and her waving to me saying, Daddy, and I think actually that game I hit a home run and she was close enough to like give me a high five and I think that was really not the, like I was like, wow, this is surreal. You know? And that moment and then one more. Growing up, Ken Griffey Jr. and Bo Jackson and some of these other guys, but Griffey was like my favorite. And I played, I started a day game in Cincinnati when he was still there. And I hit a ball off, I forget who it is, but it almost left the right center, it almost left the stadium. And I kind of flipped it, ran around, didn't think much of it. I had a double, I had a decent game. And later in the game, Grizzly hits, somehow he gets to third. And I'm in, I'm on, in, on the dugout uh, fence looking at him, and he kind of looks at me, kind of weeks. And he does his finger and he, and he goes, like, kind of saying, dude, you were way deep, that was sweet. And I got the words, like, oh, that's pretty good. Griffey Jr. just gave me props on my, my home run from earlier in the game. That's I awesome. was like, wow. You know what I mean? I was like, a moment where I was like, Junior, one of my, King Griffey Jr., one of my heroes as a kid, just gave me props on, on the ball I hit. That's pretty sweet. Now, you know what? That's like, uh, that's like Bob Costas, you know, giving me a call from the side saying, listen, dude, uh, that was a pretty good show the other day. Right? He, he really did? No, no, no. That would be the exact same. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, listen, I really want to thank you for having some time. Appreciate you giving me a couple minutes, and hopefully, talk again soon. All right, thank you, Roger.
Great catching up there with Jorge Pietra, obviously a guy that has a personality. And, you know, I would like to hear him on radio or TV, hopefully sometime in the near future. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. What we're going to do is we're going to take a brief break. After that, we're going to finish up our 30-1 to 1 MLB countdowns. We'll get number 22 and 21 out of the way. So back after this. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. And you're listening to MTR Radio. A flipping out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to MTRRadio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. This is empty vlog. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the greatest story ever told. Okay? Faces empty vlog. 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 Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. If you followed the 30 to 1 MLB countdown, you'll know that I've gotten up to 23 where I've spoken about the Milwaukee Brewers. And let's be honest, you get to a certain point, and uh, whatever team that you pick at a certain number, somebody may think that they're a little better than what we thought. And I think you you saw that case a couple times, the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Mets, San Diego Padres, all teams that could probably – outproduce what I predicted they'll do for this upcoming season. But, you know, you get to a point where you're taking a chance and you're taking a shot at things. And the next two teams that I involve in my countdown previews uh, both made the playoffs last year. They both won over 90 games last year. So you're going to find out exactly why I'm down on both of these teams. And we're going to start out with team number 22 in the 30-1 to MLB countdown previews. Brought to you by Bases Empty Blog, JohnPLA.com, and of course the past ball show is the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians had a big turnaround in the 2013 season, led by their new manager, Terry Francona. It also helped that the team brought in free agents like Nick Swisher, Michael Bourne, Mark Reynolds, Ryan Rayburn, and Scott Casimir. Uh, this offseason, the team lost free agent pitchers Casimir and Obaldo Jimenez, traded Drew Stubbs. 
Uh, they signed free agent outfielder David Murphy from the Rangers, but it did little to build off the 92 wins that they got last year. Murphy, by the way, coming off a 220 season, hitting just 13 home runs and 45 runs batted in in 142 games last season. If the Indians expect to compete with the likes of the serious AL Central teams, they'll need to pick up their offense to a different level. In other words, veterans like Swisher, Bourne, and Murphy need to do better than they did in 2013. As Dribble Cabrera, 242 average, 14 homers, 64 RBIs. Lonnie Chisenhall, who's not known to be an offensive third baseman, still hit 225. They have to give a little bit more offensively, especially with Cabrera playing for a contract. He's a free agent at the end of the season. One guy they don't have to worry about, Jason Kipnis. Kipnis hit 284, 17 home runs, 84 RBIs, became one of the top performers at his position in the AL last year. Uh, Carlos Santana could move the third base uh, where he could play a little more often and allow for Jan Gomes to be the everyday catcher, which I think he will be this coming season. At the very least, Santana will be the primary DH. Michael Brantley, another guy that had a very good season, 284, 1073, um, will be in left field. If I was lining the team up, I'd go with Bourne, Kipnis, Santana, Swisher, Brantley, Cabrera, Gomes, Murphy, and Chisenhall. Yes, using Santana at third allows the Indians to better utilize another bat, such as Rayburn or minor league invitees, Jason Giambi, Jeff Francoeur, and Niger Morgan. Mike Avilas, it covers them pretty much everywhere in the infield, so he's probably their best option off the bench. Uh, Jimenez and Casimir, thir- Jimenez 13-9, and nine, 330 ERA, Casimir 10 and 9, 404 ERA. Uh, not only did very well pitching for them, but logged a lot of innings for them. They got to make up the innings with guys that are in there already, like Justin Masterson, Corey Kluber, Jack, Zach McAllister, Danny Salazar, Carlos Carrasco, Sean Markham, guys like that. Trevor Bauer is an intriguing option as he tries to make his mark this season. We know all about his talent. He still has command issues, and that needs to be worked on. The bullpen for the Indians, John Axford, um, as a free agent, you didn't have a save last year, but uh, he pitched very well for the Cardinals in the postseason and towards the end of the season after he was acquired. I think he's an upgrade over Chris Perez. The biggest loss of the bullpen isn't Perez. It's Joe Smith. Joe Smith last year, 6-2, and 229 in 70 games. He took his talents over to Los Angeles with the Angels. Right-handers Cody Allen and Brian Shaw, left-hander Mark Ripsinski are probably the major guys to get to the bridge over to John Axford. David Ardsman and Scott Atchison, uh, if you're a Mets fan, you're very familiar with them. They both pitched for the Mets. Uh, they're in minor league, uh, major league camp on minor league contracts looking to make the club. I wouldn't have expected I would have expected the Indians to build a little more off of what they did last year. Francona changed the culture in a clubhouse, and the team had a winning mentality. But that's not based on wins and losses. Uh, they have the swagger to this group, and I think that's the main reason why you might think the Indians could uh, replicate what they did last season. But the losses of Jimenez, Casimir, and Smith and a lack of replacements will severely hurt the team. A rosy scenario could be banned if the if Swisher, Bur- Murphy, Chisenhall, and Bourne all have big seasons and Salazar and Kluber somehow replace Jimenez and Casimir. Though I think Axford will be a serviceable closer, I think the bullpen is in bad shape. Add in the fact that opponents are going to look at the 92-win Indians and kind of put a little target on their chest it's a recipe for disaster Vegas is down on them as well they put the over under at 82.5 not good for a 92 win team I think they will win less than that they're going to go 76 and 86 
fourth place in the AL Central. The next team is certainly good that I put in the countdown, 30 to 1 MLB countdown. Of course, JohnPielli.com, Bases Empty Blog, the whole thing. It's probably going to draw a little bit of a roar, and we start to get to the point of the countdown where I start naming teams and people get a little bit bent out of shape over it. And this next team won 94 games last year, and they are the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the Pittsburgh Pirates were a phenomenal story. They were really one of the ones that you know, everybody they became the sweethearts of Major League Baseball. Uh, they went 94-68 and 68 last year, the first winning season since 1992. Uh, they deserve all the kudos as they went face-to-face with the Reds. They took out in a one-game playoff. They took the St. Louis Cardinals to five games in the NLDS. Of course, the Cardinals end up going to the World Series. It had been so long since the Pirates were in the playoffs that the last playoffs that they were in consisted of two division winners playing for the right to go to the World Series in 1992. The Pirates built a solid young core through their minor league system and were led by NL MVP Andrew McCutcheon and third baseman Pedro Alvarez. They were also led by Francisco Liriano, who won 16 games, and the fact that it seemed like everybody they trusted to start for them pitched to a low 3 RA in 2013. Another thing, their bullpen was led by Jason Grilly and Mark Melanson, and the Pirates were untouchable in late innings. And what seemed to fall apart the last couple of seasons all went right in the 2013 season. That being said, 94 wins is nothing to be ashamed of. The Pirates added veterans Justin Morneau and Marlon Byrd for the stretch run. What they did, they didn't bring neither back and in and replace him. Gabby Sanchez, a two fifty four hitter. Jose Tabata, who have got with very little power, are expected to be the starting first baseman and right fielders, respectively. I got a problem with that. But one saving grace could be top prospect Greg, Gregory Polanco, who is considered the next five-tool major league outfielder. If that's the case, the Pirates will have an outfielder, McCutcheon, Marte, and Polanco, which will be amongst the most athletic in all of Major League Baseball. Neil Walker, Jordy Mercer, uh, Russell Martin are going to round out the lineup, the Pirates lineup, with Polanco in it. I'd go Polanco, Marte, McCutcheon, Alvarez, Walker, Sanchez, Martin, Mercer. And then uh, the bench will be led by Josh Harrison, Chris McGinnis, and Travis Snyder. Lariana was phenomenal last year. A.J. Burnett had a very good veteran presence to the rotation. Returning starters Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, and Jeff Locke are all expected to be good. Morton, is, of course, is coming off of a major arm injury, and Cole will be pitching in his first MLB season. Wandy Rodriguez comes back from from, a, from the an injury to be the fifth starter. Jinmar Gomez is another guy that I like. Jameson Talian, their top pitching prospect, not named Garrett Cole, could be up this season and help bring some depth. I like the Pirates' bullpen. The only problem I have is I don't think it could keep up with the pace that it had last year. I hate to be down on the Pirates, as few should root against them. The team has struggled for so long, deserves some success. There are reasons the team could be good, especially if a lot of a repeat performances they get in 2014 from 2013. Vegas has the Pirates at 83.5 for their over-under, quite a bit off from a 94-win team. I have them at 78-84, and 84, fourth place in the NL Central. They're There's no reason the team cannot contend, but I just see him falling short in a tough pennant race in September. Big thanks to Pedro Valdez, to Raul Gonzalez, and Jorge Pietra for being part of this program. We'll be back with you next week where I got a recap of all my interviews on my way down to Florida. John Pielli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Don't forget to like my page on Facebook, johnpielli.com, and follow me on Twitter, John underscore Pielli.